you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We'll get to our text here in a little bit. I want to deal over the next several weeks with a very important topic in the church. But before I do, just to lighten things up this morning, I've kind of got a picture to illustrate this. If you'll get that up there for us, maybe. There we are. You ever feel that way sometimes? As a pastor, I feel that way sometimes. You'd think it was a competition. I imagine our parents are feeling a little bit relaxed this week, and this is what our teachers are feeling this week after they had the first full week of school getting started back up. We're all crazy. It's not a competition. Amen? All right, you can pull that down. I was going to play a video this morning. If you've ever seen the Jeff Gordon video where he pretends he's just a older, middle-aged white guy driving a minivan, he comes in and does a test drive of a Camaro and takes this sales guy out with him and just does a bunch of donuts and stuff. It's a really funny um, video if you've never seen it, but I thought sometimes that's how we feel in life, like we're on board with a, a ride that we did not sign up for and that we're just amongst a bunch of crazy people. In America, statistics tell us that almost 26%, I think it's over 26%, 26.2 to be exact, of the American population between ages 18 and 54 or something of that nature. But it's basically one out of four adults suffer from some form of mental disorder, whether it's anxiety, panic attacks, depression, but uh, they fall all into a general category of mental disorders. One out of four people. Think about that number. I mean, that is a big number. One out of four. That means you can take a look at your three closest friends and if they're all normal, (laughs) you're probably the crazy one. You know, as Christians, we, we sing the right songs. We even try to remember the right scriptures. And as Chris said this morning, many of us can sing, It is well with my soul, and yet be saved and live most of our life and most of our days throughout the week in absolute turmoil, anguish, fear, worry, doubt, anxiety. It is a very real problem that we face, not only in our culture, but brothers and sisters, it's been a problem that many cultures have faced before us. I do think the the high pace of life and the constant um, bombarding of visual and audio um, that we see in this culture, through television, through billboards, through radio, I do think that it increases um, the potential to be discouraged. I mean, it's hard to stay encouraged. It's hard to stay positive. If all that you do is listen to the news and if all that you do is hear of the negativity. I was thinking last night as I was walking and praying for this sermon that there is a lot of bad going on in the world. But I heard Billy Graham say something about six months ago. He was interviewed and he was interviewed by one of the larger name news organizations that is constantly covering all that goes on in the world. And they asked him about, 
you know, how he felt the world had gotten worse over his life and how much worse it was today compared to when he was a boy. His response, I thought, was right on and staggering at the same time. He said, I don't think the world's any worse today than it was when I was a boy. He said, we just have constant media attention to it now. But there were, there's always been wars. There have always been atrocities. There have always been horrid things that happen to children. There has always been persecution of the Christian church. The, the world is a wicked and evil place. It's just we're constantly told about it now. It's in a constant 24-hour news cycle that becomes overwhelming. And I was walking last night thinking about that. And I thought about how it would be difficult to stay in a right state of mind, to stay encouraged, to stay, to, to let joy rule our lives. And as I was walking, the Lord reminded me of what's going on today at 1 o'clock. I don't know if it's going to get any news attention or not, but I, re- I realized, you know, there is a lot of good things going on in the world too. we got a community together, coming together today to support somebody in the community. A lot of people are going to show up to support a family they've never met, don't even know who they are. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. There are a lot of good things that are going on in our world. There's a lot of good things happening. There's good things happening here in our church. Good things happening in our lives. And what I want to talk to you about over the next three to four weeks, is, is, as the Lord leads, I want to talk about thought control. I want to talk about renewing our minds. I'm eventually going to close this sermon series with Romans chapter 12. We're not even going to go there today. But it tells us that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformed by the renewing of our mind. The goal of God is to transform us. And if you're truly saved here today, here's what you know. You know that there's an initial transformation where you begin to fall in love with God and you want to serve God and you want to follow God. There's a real initial transformation and you... You see through a different lens. You understand sin is sin. And you begin to to have some level of hatred for all that is evil and all that is wicked. And you have a desire to serve God. And and so your overall uh, direction in life is transformed. Your overall opinion on how life is supposed to be and, and where you're headed, it's transformed in a moment when you're truly saved and born again. And if that has happened to you, you can say, yes, that's true. But if you've been saved at least six months or more, you will also be able to testify that after that initial transformation, there is still some work that has to take place in your mind and your heart. And when we're faced with the battles of life and when we're faced with the wars that that are going on all around us internally at times, Externally at times, when we are faced with the difficulty of life, years of believing a certain way, years of reacting a certain way, years of seeing through a certain lens begin to taint the way that we feel and think as Christians. And we can sing about the right songs. We can say we know that God is good. We can say that we know that God is in control and we can say the right things and say that we believe the right things while at the same time 
living lives that are deeply discouraged, depressed. We, our joy seems to be zapped out of us. Our drive to do the things that we should do seems to be minimal. And we are in constant conflict within our own hearts. This is real Christian living. The statistics of those dealing with uh, mental disorders, depression, anxiety, worries, and fear is not much better in the church as opposed to those who are non-believers. And here's what that tells me as a pastor. It tells me that somehow we have not did a good job, we have not did a proper job of helping the church live out what we say we believe. It's one thing for me, and I'm telling you, as I've been trying to put together this series in my heart and my mind, it's a difficult one. Because so many people battle fear, worry, depression, anxiety, mental disorders in some capacity. If everybody in here just felt comfortable, be honest and say, yeah, in some capacity I deal with that, I'll bet it would be at least half of us. That's what I bet. Maybe more. And it's real easy to say, Think right. That's easy to say, isn't it? And it's real easy for you to say, I know, I need to think right. It's real easy to say, don't put garbage in your mind. And it's real easy for you to say, you're right, I need to change what I watch and change what I hear and change who I'm around. It's real easy for me to say, think on the things that are pure and think on the Bible and and, and memorize Scripture. And it's real easy for you to say, I'm going to think about the Bible and I'm going to memorize Scripture and I'm going to think on what's pure. And then we leave this meeting and you go to work tomorrow and people are vile and they're cussing and they're hateful and they're angry. And then you find out you got bills that still need to be paid and you find out there's not enough money at the end of the month and you and your wife can't agree on how you handle a certain situation. And then somehow everything I just said goes out the window. That's real life, isn't it? And so what I don't want to do, I don't want to just go through a one sermon nugget that ends up with that end result. Somehow, some way, I'm praying that God over the next few weeks will help supernaturally change us a little bit and will teach us how to control our thought life. Not just, I don't want to just tell you to do it, I want to help show you how to do it. So I'm going to ask you to stay tuned with me over the next several weeks. Today I just want to lay the groundwork for the sermon series. Before I get to our text, I want you to know that your thoughts are powerful. What you think, the way that you think, will alter your life. It will alter the life of those that you're close to. It will alter the life of your husband, your wife, your children. It's not possible to have a positive life if you are a negative thinker. It's not possible. It's just not possible. You cannot constantly think negative. You cannot constantly think the worst. You cannot constantly worry on one hand, and then on the other hand, have a life that is full of positiveness and joy. What you think and the way that you think will ultimately dictate the life that you live. It's important that we learn how to control our thoughts. 
Maybe you've spent years thinking wrong thoughts based on a bad past, based on the history of a dysfunctional life. What I want you to know is God has the power to change that. But you've got to be willing to let God change that. And here's the hardest thing about, about this entire principle is you've got to take some ownership in the reality that you do have power over what you choose to think on. You do not have power over what happens to your life. You do not have power over all the circumstances that you will ever face. You do not have power over other people, but you do have power to choose how you respond to it. How you will think about it. How you will live uh, consciously and, and the thoughts that you will let go on in your mind. You have power over that. If you struggle with negative thinking this morning, it's important for you to come to grips with the fact that your life won't change until your thinking changes. Your life won't change until your thinking changes. You can't just come to the altar, ask God to change everything and help you to think positive, and then walk right out of here and continue to fill your mind with garbage, continue to talk with people that you uh, gossip with frequently, continue to be negative with the things that come out of your mouth. You have to make a conscious decision. You've got to make a choice. I am going to work on changing the way I think and I'm going to take ownership and control over what's going on up here in my brain. Your life won't change until your thinking change changes. Most of us as believers probably have some Scripture-based thoughts throughout the day. We've learned to have some Scripture-based thoughts throughout the day. If you're truly saved here and you look at your life, you would probably say that as a true statement. Throughout the day, I have some Scripture-based thoughts. Now, I want to ask you the question, putting those aside, how many negative thoughts do you have? How many non-Scripture-based thoughts do you have? And what we see is our brain and our minds are constantly bombarded with thoughts from everywhere. And if you're going to be successful in, in living in peace and in joy and, and having a transformed life and a renewed mind, if you're going to be successful in that, you're going to have to learn how to consciously, strategically, willfully, intentionally, purposefully start thinking more Scripture-based thoughts throughout the day and less non-scripture, less negative. You are going, and nobody can make you do it, but you. This is part of a one of the sermons to come, but I, I do want to at least put this thought in as a seed. The only way that you will ever reverse years of wrong thinking is through repeated, repeated. That's over and over and over and over and over again. The only way that you will begin to reverse years of wrong thinking is by repeatedly learning to think on what is true and what is biblical. One time doesn't get it done. It just doesn't happen. That's why you can hear. That's why I said earlier, we can sing the song. I can tell you, think right. 
Think on what's pure. Think on what's true. And you can say, that's what I'm going to do. But when you go back into life and you find out life is hard, you find out it is a war, you find out you are constantly challenged on whether or not you will stand for what you believe, one time doesn't get it done. It takes repeated action on your part. Repeated daily and often many times a day. Abraham Lincoln said, I am not a man. I am a civil war. He was referring to the battle that was raging in his mind. And to some degree, we all face that same battle. This morning, I want to lay the groundwork for the sermon series to come with our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Let's read it together. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we love You this morning. We are reminded as our brothers and sisters are being persecuted around the globe of how grateful we are for the freedom to come and worship You here this morning. Father, we pray that You would have Your way in our hearts and in our minds. God, I ask that You would anoint me this morning to preach Your Word in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. God, I pray that change would begin to break in the hearts in the minds of many of these people here. Lord, I pray that by the time this sermon series is over, that there be people who have struggled for years to live the joyous, victorious life that Christ offers. Believers. But yet they've never found it. They've been bound up. They've been shackled and chained up by depression and worry and fear and anxiety and doubt and panic. God, I pray that by the time this sermon series is over, that those chains would be broken. God, that lives would be changed forever. Lord, I pray that Your people, God, we would learn to regain control of our thought life and ultimately regain control of our life in the process. Father, You know what needs to be said and how it needs to be said, and I just yield myself to You. I ask, God, that You'd give me the unction and the anointing of heaven to preach this morning. And I ask, God, now that You would anoint our ears and our hearts and our minds God, that we can hear and understand Your Word this morning with clarity. Lord, we pray that if anybody be lost here today, that they be saved. Have Your way. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty. And I want you to see something about the war. Notice that they pull down strongholds, they cast down arguments and everything that exalts itself against knowledge, and they bring every thought into captivity. Isn't it interesting that the war, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, the war happens in our mind. 
We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 here in a moment. And we're going to see who the Apostle Paul also wrote, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. And we're going to see that the same Apostle who wrote about war in the mind here tells us how we equip ourselves for that war later. We're going to see that there are some things you've got to put on. There's some things you've got to wear. There's some proactive things you've got to do to win this war. But here's what I want you to notice. The main place this war happens in our mind. 98% of your battles will either be won or lost in your mind first. The action might follow later. The fulfillment of whatever decision you've made might not come to pass until later, but it was over and decided when you made the decision in your mind. And so if we can learn to control our mind, ultimately we can do a much better job learning to control the right outcome of what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at this warfare Together, Ephesians chapter 6, I won't spend a long time here, our text really today is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but I want us to see a few things about Ephesians chapter 6. I would even call it groundwork before we get to our passage. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. First of all, it's only the might of God that you will ever be able to win in. You can't do it in your own strength. He basically said the same thing to the Corinthians when he said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, it's not our own power. It's not our own strength. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our great planning. You must learn to walk in the power of of the Spirit in your life. Put on the whole armor of God. Understand you've got to put it on. It doesn't just happen automatically. You are told and you are commanded to put it on. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He says the same basic thing here. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let me say that there is no doubt that verse 12 has real application to dealing with real demons. No doubt about it, whatsoever. And no doubt that in order for us to deal specifically with demons and the demon-possessed, this passage has great application. But what I want to submit to you is that 95% of the general Christian population is not necessarily going to come face-to-face with those that are demon-possessed, trying to cast out demons and and trying to set people free that are demon-possessed. And this passage has a great application, though, to each of you concerning the battle of your mind. And while you may not be demon-possessed, and while there might not be demons coming down on you and trying to hurt you, this world system as a whole is ruled by demons. 
The thought process, the idea of self-indulgence, the idea that you be your own God, make your own calls, be your own man, do your own thing. The general message that you find in just about everything is contrary to the message of God. And so if you're going to win that battle for your mind, you've got to put on the whole armor of God. Now look what it says. Again, put on the whole armor of God in verse 13. Verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. You are not going to be able to take what comes the next three or four weeks and put it into place in your life and get your thought life right. You're not going to be able to do it if you're not willing to stand in truth. You've got to put on the belt of truth. Now, there are two things that that means. Number one, you've got to know what the truth of the Word of God is and you've got to be willing to put it on and you've got to be willing to submit yourself to it. But number two, here's what it means. It means that you can't be a hypocrite. None of us are perfect, none of us are flawless, and none of us are without sin. The Bible teaches us that, and one simple, honest look in the mirror confirms it. But, there's a difference between having a sin nature and being a flawed man. There's a great difference between acknowledging that and being a full-blown hypocrite. The hypocrite is one that intentionally, purposefully sins, no care whatsoever about it. Not convicted about it. I'm going to do how I want to do. I'm going to, I know it's wrong. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to do it anyways. If you embrace that lifestyle, you will never be able to convince yourself of the truth about everything that God has to say over the next couple of weeks. It just doesn't work. You can't be sinning on one hand, sinning against God, doing it your own way, living how you should li- shouldn't live, being where you shouldn't be, talking like you shouldn't talk, watching what you shouldn't watch, living how you shouldn't live. You can't be doing that on one hand and then over here be trying to convince yourself, God is for me. Everything's good. My life's going to turn out right. I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. You can't do it. I mean, it's, it's insanity. And so you've got to be willing to put on the belt of truth and say, I'm going to be who I say I am. That's what I'm going to do. And, and that doesn't mean I'm saying I'm perfect. That means I've got enough integrity to acknowledge when I am wrong and to ask for forgiveness. But I am going to be who I say I am. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to stand for what is true. And I am going to be true. If you are not true, you're leaving yourself open to attack. And so you've got to be who you say you are. If you can't convince your own self that you are who you say you are, good luck, good luck convincing yourself that you are who God says you are. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's a protection of my heart. It is the truth that I am righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is not my own righteousness, but it is the impenetrable indisputable righteousness of the Holy Son of God that has been imputed to me and I can stand firm in that in assurance, not in my own righteousness but in His righteousness that I stand before God cleansed, 
this matters as we will see in weeks to come because His opinion ultimately is the only one that matters. And if I can know that God is for me, and if I can know that I stand right before God, and if I can know that when He looks at me, He is pleased and sees me as cleansed, my fears and anxieties can learn to go away from me. But I've got to have the righteousness of God as my breastplate, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith. You've got to take it. You've got to take it. You've got to take the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. There's a lot of them. The way Satan fights me might be a little different than how he fights you. But it's one way that we all win the same battle. Putting on the armor of God. Learning to take our thoughts captive. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful. You've got to be watchful. That's diligence. Now back to our text today. So there's a war. There's a war that is raging on for your mind. The devil wants your mind. I'm pretty convinced during this sermon series, I'm going to do an entire sermon, one part, about the devil wants your kids' minds. This is something we need to talk talk about in the church. The devil wants your children's minds. He don't just want your mind. He wants your mind, but he wants he wants our kids. And we need to understand what is our role in all this. What, how do we reach this young generation of people? How do we raise up our own personal children in safety? How 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 do we cautiously make sure that their minds, which the devil is after, are not being uh, are not being won by the enemy. There is a war for the minds of our children. There is a war. The weapons of our war, they're not carnal. Now let's get to our text. The weapons of our war, they're not carnal. Here's what it means. You can't do it in your own strength. You've been battling any type of mental disorder. If you've, if you've battled depression... Anxiety, fears, all that type of stuff. You may have been taught how to suppress it. You may have been taught a, 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 a set of things to go through so that you don't make poor choices. And, and, I'm, and those things have their time and place because it's, it's better to do that than to just go free and make bad decisions and hurt people. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. God doesn't just want to put parameters in your life that keep you from doing the bad thing. God wants to set us free from those chains. God wants to set us free entirely from those, from those, uh, from worries and fear and doubt and, and from depression and from, He wants to set us free from those things, not just give us, uh, certain things in our life that keep us from making poor decisions. But the weapons that accomplish that, they are not carnal. But they are mighty. They are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Pulling down strongholds. I'm really not going to teach you how to pull down strongholds this morning. 
I told you all I'm doing is laying down the groundwork. But I want you to understand what strongholds are. It's an interesting term that really dealt with certain cities in older civilization. It would have been a very familiar term when Paul was writing. That were centers of strength during times of war. Jericho, if you remember, you ever heard the story of the walls of Jericho, right? And Jericho had great big walls, seemed like they could never be defeated. Jericho is a great example of a stronghold. It has large walls that surround it, and it is a stronghold for whoever is inside of it. It is a fortress. It is a place of strength. It is a place that is secure from outside attack. And so, the word stronghold typically deals with at least something that is walled in. I'm going to give you two examples. First of all, the enemy's camp that is outside, like Jericho. This seems, it's all around us. It seems impenetrable. It seems as if it's so established there's no breaking it down. What would some of those strongholds be in our culture? That walls that have been built up strong and we see them, spiritually speaking, everywhere we go. The wall has been established. It looks like it's done settled. How about the idea, for example... That until you have generated much wealth, you'll never be happy. That in order to be successful, you've got to have stuff. That in order to be happy, you've got to have this thing or that thing. That, and I'm going to be fairly frank, especially this morning and over the next couple of weeks, fair warning, because this is an important thing for our kids. I know we would like to think that our kids are all sweet and innocent. And that our kids are just good little church kids. But at sixth grade, most of our kids have already been introduced to the idea of sex and drugs. I was at sixth grade, and that was almost 20 years ago. Don't think it's not happening. One of the worst things we can do is stick our head in the sand and just think it's going to be okay and it's not really happening. You know, it's happening. It's the truth. And there's these strongholds that the enemy's tried to build up and establish. It's almost been established already. There's still some that are fighting against this particular city, if you will. But it's almost all but established. The last stone has been laid. And you know what that is? The church has already come to accept it too. People just shack up. It's just what happens. It's just part of the way it is. It's just our culture, man. Come up. Get out of it. And there are certain strongholds, there are opinions that we begin to embrace as a society, we begin to believe. We've got to learn and we've got to know what God's Word says and we've got to know what the truth is and we've got to condition our minds when our minds try to give us reason to compromise, which is what the devil is always trying to do, get us to compromise. Compromise a little bit here, and then a little bit here, and then a little bit here. 
We've got to realize these certain strongholds, if you will, have been placed there and have been built up over the last several years, at least in our culture, to cause us to begin to compromise our faith, compromise our convictions. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty in pulling down strongholds. Now, I also want to talk to you about a stronghold that we build. And it's very similar. The same principle of walls to keep us safe, right? A stronghold in our life is is a wall that we put up that we originally thought we needed for protection. But ultimately, it ends up keeping people out. It ends up keeping God out. And it causes us to live certain ways we shouldn't live. And I, I want to do my best to give you an example I think about the marriage. It's all but over. Husband and wife can't get along. And I'm not being... I can only give one example and I'm running out of time. And so, wives, don't be mad at me. I'm just trying to help. I really am. Unfortunately, you get the example this morning. I'll try to use a husband next week. The marriage is all but over. They can't get along. And at the root of it all is a wife who is just stinking bossy. She doesn't know when to keep her mouth quiet. She doesn't know how to be submissive to her husband. She's constantly nagging. And she truly, honestly, really wants to be a more loving, more forgiving, more submissive wife. She comes and hears the preacher preach, and the preacher preaches, and she says to herself, that's what I want, that's what I need, I know it, that's me. She even tells her friends, pray for me, please. But when her husband acts a certain way, when he makes bonehead decisions, when he does things she doesn't like, this thing just comes out of her. She tells him how she feels and she refuses to let it go and she digs her heels in. And this is a stronghold in her life where she knows what she should be doing, but for some reason there's some walls that have been built in that cause her to react to certain things the same way no matter how many times she says, I'm not going to do it. Well, where did those walls come from? Growing up, maybe she had a father that was kind of a jerk. He was a military man. He constantly made her mom look small. She always felt like she wanted to protect her mom. Hated the way that her mom looked, uh, her, her dad was to her mom. Hated the way her dad made her feel. She was pretty much neglected. And she had an older brother. And her older brother was well liked. He seemed to be much more loved by her dad because he was a boy. And by the time she was 13, 14, 15 years old, she began to see and began to believe men are jerks. All of them. And they think they're superior to women. All of them. And she decided, I'm not ever going to let that happen to me. And she starts building up her walls. I'm not going to be hurt by a man. I'm not going to be controlled by a man. I'm not going to be done wrong by a man. I'm not going to be pushed around by a man. And so here's my walls that I build up. And originally she's protecting herself. But now she's built a stronghold in her own life based upon lies that all men are that way. They're not. But she's built a stronghold in her life. And now every time that she's around her husband or any other man or any boss that that in any way resembles the the power problem she saw growing up, these walls come up and she, she has a stronghold in her life. 
I'm going to tell you something this morning. You can see the principle applies to men too. I'm, I'm already out of time. All your life, if you've had a stronghold like that, you know it's, it's easy to say, well, I'm just going to quit. But in the moment, you don't. Because it's real. Because it's a wall that's there. Here's what I want you to know. I already told you and I'll tell you again. I'm, not, I can't, I don't, I'm out of time. I can't tell you how to fix it this morning. But what I can tell you is on the authority of the Word of God, the mighty power of God does have the ability to pull down those strongholds in your life and free you up where they are no longer controlling your relationships and the way that you are around people. They pull down strongholds. They cast down arguments. They cast down arguments. The weapons of our warfare, they cast down arguments. Here's what you've got to know. There are arguments. There's, there are arguments. There are skilled arguments. They are. Here's why you should act this way. Here's why you should do that. Well, nobody else is perfect. Hey, we all have wars in our own mind, right? Where we start trying to really justify compromise. Don't we? If you think long enough and hard enough about what you want to do, and you spin it just right, you can explain why it's the right decision to make. And if anybody else understood all the facts you did, they'd make the same decision too and quit being so judgmental. And so I'm just going to go this route. Hey, come on. We all do it. We all do it. We, we, we will allow our carnal nature, what we desire, sometimes what is easiest because we don't want to face conflict, we will allow arguments to cause us to compromise. I'm here to tell you, through the power of God, we can cast down those arguments. And then, we bring them into captivity. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here's a mental picture I want you to get this morning as I close. I am going to go ahead and ask our worship team to come this morning Bringing every thought into captivity. Here's the mental picture I want you to get this morning. However you see it, however you visualize it, I want you to visualize an enemy that has been taken captive. Where is that enemy? What would you do with that enemy? In my mind, I visualize somebody behind bars. That's what I, that's what I visualize. But if you're ever going to get an enemy that's out to kill you, by the way, that's why they're your enemy, that's out to destroy you, if you're ever going to get an enemy under control, locked up and in control, it's going to have to happen by force. It doesn't happen just by wishing that they'd come into your little cage and, and put down their weapons and sit on the bench and let you lock up the key. No, there's a fight. There's a fight. If you're going to bring an enemy captive, there's a fight. And Paul uses that term about our thoughts. You've got to learn to take them captive. Lock that thing up and put it where it goes. And thank God, Paul said, take the thought captive. Thank God he didn't say, don't think the thought. That's not, he didn't say, don't think the thought. He said, take it captive. 
when I'm done with this thing and we look at Romans chapter 12 and we talk about renewing the mind, you'll find that it is possible to get to the place where the thoughts that we have to take captive are not near as much and not near as violent as they were when we very first started this race. But you've got to get it settled to start with. I've got to be violent with my thoughts. I've got to take these things captive. I don't know why thoughts come. I mean, I can be sitting drinking a milkshake and all is good and think some horrible thought from 20 years ago and I'm like, where did that come from? There wasn't even no trigger. There wasn't nothing I saw. It's just like, boo, it's there. And if you're not careful, you'll be condemned about that and think, whoa, there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm, there's, but why would I think such a thing? Because there's a war for your mind. And there is a real enemy that's constantly bombarding us. What you've got to do is not get so condemned that the thought came in there, but get some, some uh, settled in your soul. I'm taking this thought captive. That's what I'm going to do. I call it the five-second rule. Maybe you've heard it before. Try to get that thing whipped in five seconds. Try to get it whipped in five seconds. Get that thing. It's there. You're thinking about it. Realize you're thinking about it. And lock that thing up and say, no, uh-uh, ain't going there. You let it roll around much longer than five seconds. You get to ten seconds, fifteen seconds. Now you're thinking on the thing. And, and you'll find it's trying to trap you instead of you trying to trap it. There is so much to be said about this topic of learning to control our thoughts. And I pray that you'll stay with me over the next several weeks. One of the worst things, feelings as a pastor, one of the worst things to do is to make it clear there's a problem and we're all in agreement and then say, well, let's dismiss and go home. But I have to today. I have to. And it's going to take time to work through this. The only thing that I ask you to do today and the only thing I'm challenging you to do today, if you struggle with thought control, here's all that I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to fix it today. I'm not asking you to confirm that you understand what you need to do today. The only thing I'm asking you to do is be willing to commit today to turning your heart to God in a very sincere way for the next month and say, God, help me hear you. Help me receive your word and gain victory over this thing in my life that has dominated me for so many years. I'm asking you to be willing to commit yourself to letting God change your thoughts. You don't have to understand how it's going to work yet. You don't have to understand all those things. But I'm asking you to be willing. Lord, I pray that you move all across this room in the name of Jesus. I do believe I've said everything you'd have me to say on the start of this sermon series. And God, I pray, Father, for those who have just accepted that they're going to be anxious forever. They're going to be fearful forever. They're never going to change. They're, never going to, they're always going to be this way or that way. I pray that, God, some glimmer of hope this morning would begin to come alive in their heart. pray they would feel the stirring of your Spirit in their soul. God, that they'd have the courage this morning to come to you and say, God, take me through this. God, help me be ready. Help me be willing to change. To take control of my thought life and ultimately regain control of the life that God has for them. Lord, I pray that you move all across this room. In Jesus' name.